Amen. Hey, I want to I want to read. Last week we had a powerful time. We were talking about the power of words. And I want to sort of continue that conversation. Proverbs 18. Verse 20 it says, "Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. The tongue can bring death or life. I think we know the statement. You don't even have to be Christian to know that there's an ongoing statement there is life and death at the edge of your tongue. And so Father, we pray this morning that as we are further expounding on that thought that you dropped in our hearts last week that you would do a work as we set a base in understanding how much power you've entrusted us with. As we studied last week, we understand that you have more faith in us than we have in ourselves. And so we give you all the glory in Jesus name. We pray. Amen. Last week we looked at the power of words. We looked at how literally all of heaven has has given us this incredible opportunity to speak life or to speak death. And in a, in a way I sort of just set a base last week, but this morning I want to go a bit further because I felt like sometimes when you have the right tools in your toolbox you're able to utilize the equipment that God has entrusted you with. And we established the fact that a lot of times our level of belief or our level of trust is many times indicated by a level of speech. We've begun to understand that a great level of faith is most times displayed by a great level of speech. A person that speaks with a sense of confidence, not overconfidence, but with a sense of hope, with a sense of knowing that God is good, almost has the opportunity to enter into the things that God has for them. Jesus takes us up a notch and we don't have too much time to study uh this particular portion that I'm talking about in Matthew uh, I believe Matthew 12 where he's talking and he says this words he says these words out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and before that he actually talks about trees that produce good fruit and trees that produce bad fruit and as we study scripture we begin to understand that a tree can as we know that as just like a tree can produce good fruit and bad fruit we can seem to understand that god correlates the fruitfulness of a tree like words from a mouth and 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 then paul comes along and builds another premise on those words and in hebrews 13 he says through jesus therefore let us continually offer to god a sacrifice of praise now a lot of times we get caught up in the sacrifice of praise but this morning i want to focus on the words next to that the fruit of our lips that openly profess his name so paul calls our words the fruit of our lips so anytime you open your mouth and you speak you're like that tree producing fruit you have a choice where you can produce good fruit or you can produce bad fruit So we begin to see that there's a correlation between our lips and fruit or rather there's a correlation between words and trees. God is associating words with trees. And then I begin to think about how a fruit actually has two purposes. Now that we've set the premise that a fruit is symbolic to words, are you tracking with me? Are we still together? Then I begin to think about the purposes of a fruit. A fruit has so many purposes, but one purpose is for nutrition. The one purpose of fruit is to add 
Maybe, maybe to make a dessert, you want to make it look colorful. Most times we put it in there to make it look healthy. Uh, but for whatever reason, a fruit is added for nutrition. But do you know fruit has a greater purpose? The greater purpose of a fruit is the seed that lies within the fruit. Then all of a sudden, I realize that my words are not just fruitful, but that in my words lie seeds of possibilities. That even though I can say one good word, within that good word lies potential six, seven, eight different seeds that can not just produce fruits, but that actually can produce trees. And all of a sudden, you, 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 here's the thing, the Bible says death and, and life are at the edge of your lips, but I'm here to say that seeds of death and seeds of life, in other words, you're not just causing multiple, you're not just causing one moment of life, but you have the potential to cause multiple moments of lives with one good word. And that's why I love the Bible because I can read the same scripture and it can give me life and I can read it the next day and it can give me life again. How many of you have ever taken that, that message that you got from somebody and it was so encouraging that you screenshot it? And then three years later, you come back to it and you read it again and you feel encouraged again. Why? Because that text was fruitful to you three years ago, but now it's still got seeds in embryo form that if you can read it again, it can birth life and fruitfulness all over again. So all of a sudden we realize that, wow, our words really matter. It's amazing. And so then I begin to think about the, the main text in the Bible that talks about our words. It's all over the Bible. But the person that probably spent the most amount of airtime talking about the power of words was this guy called James. And so we're going to find our assignment this morning in the book of James. And I wanted to make it a really attractive title, so I called it Tame That Tongue. <laughs> Very creative. Not really, because James 3, literally the subtitle of that chapter is Tame That Tongue. Tame That Tongue. And so if you leave this morning, you're like, what did they talk about? I want you to really clearly understand that that's what we spoke about. I, I, want, I want us to understand that God has put us on assignment to tame this incredible gift that can sometimes also be a curse. We're just gonna read it step by step and see what God says. James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. This is James's opening statement in James chapter three. Not, hey, just get ready before I'm about to say this. Brace yourself, hold yourself back. No, dear brothers and sisters, I'm discouraging you to be a teacher. Now, now the context is James is talking to the Hebrew followers of Jesus. In the Hebrew culture, to become, to be aspired, to be a teacher was the greatest calling. It was a leadership culture. And I think in many ways, I think when we look at churches and church in general, there's almost this aspiration for people to want to lead. And I think that's a great thing. I think in a day and age where there's always a lack for leaders, that it's a great thing to aspire. But it's almost like James is giving us a word of caution where he's saying, before you aspire to, to become a teacher, I think you need to understand the price of what it is to be a teacher. Uh, you know, a lot of times people say, Pastor, I have got this gift. Yeah, I understand. But I would love for us to just read James chapter 3, verse 1, because I think it's something that he's trying to say that there's a weight that comes with it. In other words, he's actually saying teachers would be judged more strictly. You can laugh at that because he's really talking about me. And so every time I read this, I'm just sort of like, I got to understand that I have a stricter 
barometer. God's got a higher standard for myself or anybody else that recognizes a leader as a pastor in this church or any other church. We've got to understand this. And so James is setting a premise here. And then in verse two, he says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. Now James is becoming compassionate. Oh, wow. James, that was tough. But now you're compassionate. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. He's now trying to sympathize with us. Then he goes, for if we could control our tongues. Oh, he's back to oh, good old James. We could, we could be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. So he starts building this tension. He starts sympathizing with our weaknesses. He says, we all make mistakes. But then he says, if you can fix this one thing, and this is what got my attention. He is saying, if we control our tongue, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Now, when I read this, I had to read this a few times because James, who is not just an apostle or a disciple, but James, who's the literal half-brother of Jesus, who we sort of worship around here and sing a few songs to, uh, that maybe I need to listen when he's saying this. James is literally telling me that that anger, that addiction, that bitterness, that unforgiveness, that selfishness, that pride, that ego, everything can be worked out if I can manage my tongue. That's what he's literally saying. He's not saying, you, you've, got a, you've got a big mouth and that's what gets you in trouble. And, that'll, and if you can sort that out, that'll take care of one area. No, he's literally saying, if we can control this thing, we will be perfect in every other way. And then what he does, this, this is sort of the central part of my message. Then what James begins to do is he begins to bring three different examples, three different analogies to try and explain to us the power of tongue or rather the power of words. And I want to sort of, uh, you know, tell you right ahead what he's trying to get to. What he's trying to get to is he's trying to say our tongue is disproportionately powerful. He's literally saying, your tongue is not just powerful. Your words are not just powerful. Your words are disproportionately powerful. In other words, he's saying it shouldn't be this powerful, but God's made it this powerful. And we've got to understand how powerful it is. It's so small, but it's yet too powerful. And so we read in verse three, in fact, I'm going to read three and four. It says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. Verse four, it says, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chases to go, chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. Can we put up the next verse? If you can, that would be fantastic. Verse five, it says, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. Why don't we read verse three again? We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. So in other words, he's trying to create all these examples and he's trying to say, just like the small instrument is able to command a horse in the same way the tongue is so powerful. So I wanna extract some truths from this. We all would agree that the horse is a strong animal. A horse is, I mean, if, you touch, if you've ever touched a horse, all you feel is pure muscle. It's a muscular animal. And, and, and we gotta understand that to train a horse is difficult. To train a horse is not easy. You've got to start that journey at a young age. You've got to tame that thing. But once you can tame that thing, she can be quite powerful and quite purposeful. Yeah. And, and, and James is almost creating a correlation between the energy that a horse has. I begin to look it up. And one of the things that stand out to me when it comes 
when we, when we talk about a horse is muscle. The human body has 300 muscles. A horse has 700 muscles. In fact, when we try to even describe the energy of a car, we say things like horsepower. I mean, I'm talking about muscle. And then when I understood that James is trying to tell me about the muscle of a horse, because everything in scripture has to do with faith. I begin to understand that faith is a muscle. And all of a sudden, James is not trying to teach me how to be more of a country boy. He's actually trying to inspire and speak into my faith. What James is trying to say is God has given you the faith of a horse. God has given you the muscle of a horse. God has given you the capacity that is endless. But what controls it is this instrument in its mouth. And just like there's a device in the mouth of a horse that controls the muscles of a horse, in the same way there's a device in my mouth called the tongue that controls the muscles of my faith. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't have faith. No. You know what? You actually don't even need to believe in Jesus to have faith. The Bible says to everyone, he's given a measure of faith. You have faith. You might be an atheist, but you have faith. When you jumped into your car this morning, you had faith that it would work. What if it was a weird, someone wired that whole thing up and maybe the guy that engineered your car never went to school and like, well, you have faith. You have faith in something. You've got faith in Toyota. You've got faith in something. You know what I'm saying? And in the same way, that's how anxiety works. People think that when you struggle with anxiety, you think that you don't have faith. You actually have faith. Anxiety is nothing but faith in the wrong direction, muscle in the wrong direction, a horse moving in the wrong direction. But if you can tame that thing, your muscle, your faith can be so powerful in the hand of God. When you start using that mouth and when you start speaking the promises of God in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your anxiousness, all of a sudden it changes. Verse four, it says, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. I like those words, even though the winds are strong. So the first example, James is talking about the faith that God has entrusted us that we need to learn how to tame with our lips. The second example, I believe James is trying to show us about the courses of life because the ship is always on a journey. And friend, I want you to know you're on a journey. Every day is a journey. Every week is a journey. Every month is a journey. You may be sitting in one place, but you're still journeying through life. You're journeying through relationships. You're journeying through friendships. You're journeying through all sorts of things. And then he begins to talk about how the winds come and the storms come and the winds play a huge role in the course ahead. But, but one of the things I've begun to realize is that, you know, when, when James is talking about the winds that are blowing and all that sort of thing. If you've ever been on a ship, if you've ever gone, you, we know that that steering wheel is a powerful thing. That that can determine, no matter, no matter how crazy it gets, if you've got control of that, that can determine the direction of where your life is going. I think it's important to point that one thing because I think a lot of times, especially those of us as Christians, we spend so much energy speaking to the wind when God is just saying, you gotta use your steering wheel, your mouth in the right direction. 
We spend so much energy speaking or gossiping or complaining or whining or being fearful. James never said there will no be winds. He, was, he said there will be wind, but I have given you the steering wheel of life, which is on your lips, literally hanging in your mouth. And if you start using the, that thing and when storms come, and, and here's the thing, I was thinking about this, right? Even on a good day, when there are no winds, when there is no storm, if you're not holding on the steering wheel, your boat can still get on the rock. It still needs focus. It still needs direction. It still needs vision. It still needs a dream. And so I want to encourage you that God has entrusted us with the words of, 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 of faith. God has instruct, equipped us with scriptures that we can utilize. And I believe there are people in this room that are going through winds of craziness, winds of financial turbulence, storms of health difficulties. Maybe it might be cancer. Maybe it might be a relationship that you're going, situation that you're going through. But whatever storm that you're facing, whatever wind you're facing, I want to encourage you this morning, stop looking at that and get a hold of the steering wheel. What is that steering wheel? That steering wheel is your lips. That steering wheel is your tongue. And when you start speaking life, saying, I know that this is happening happening and I know that, that that spirit of death is here. I know cancer is here. I know that financial trouble is here, but God's promises are yes and amen. God's promises are true. God's promises are faithful. He's the God that provides. He's the God that heals. He's the God that restores. I know, I know the wind is crazy and I'm not feeling it, but when you start speaking it, the more you start speaking it, all of a sudden, let me tell you, God has this incredible way of getting into that boat, of getting in charge and leading you in the middle of that storm. Some storms will not go. The purpose of some storms is just so that God can get your hand on the steering wheel. It's just so that God can, you, you start utilizing that faith muscle so that you can start saying, in the name of Jesus, this is going to shift. In the name of Jesus, it's going to turn around. In verse 5, it says, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing, just like the steering wheel. Just like that little piece of metal in the, in the mouth of a horse. Small thing that makes grand speeches. But then he goes on to say the third example. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your, your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. Now, this is a heavy loaded passage of scripture. Doesn't seem to be anything positive about the tongue, but I think God has a way of speaking to us in this manner at times. But the, but the, but the third example that James uses, he says, a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. I don't think I need to talk a lot about fire. We've just experienced some crazy things over the last couple of months in our nation when it comes to the bushfire. And I just want to take a moment to say thank you, Downport Church, because a couple of weeks ago, we took up an offering and you gave $4,000 to the bushfires. And so thank you so much for that. God bless you. And, 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 and praise God for the rain that's been happening. Praise God. We say, God, more of that, more of that, more of that, more of that. More of that. Every time it rains, get a hot chocolate. It's on God. He'll, he'll take care of the calories. Don't worry. It's on God. I said, God, any time it rains, I'll go get a hot chocolate. So God, it's been raining. So hot chocolate weather. You know what I'm saying? So, so we've seen the catastrophe that's happened just from a small little spark. You know, acres of land, millions of dollars, houses and homes. And James is saying the same effect 
a negative word, the same effect our tongue can have over a situation. I began to think about this, and, 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 and as, as James was talking about how a little fire can spark, a little, little flame can spark a whole fire, I began to think about another occasion in the Bible where God caused the fire. In the book of Exodus, there's a man called Moses who's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. I like the fact that he's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. He was not taking care of his father's sheep. He was taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. Sometimes you gotta take care of other people's sheep and even when you don't wanna take care of it, you might need to do it because it's under contract. I feel like I'm prophesying over somebody that's bound to something that they've committed to. But, but here's the thing about God. Be it that you're an outlaw or you're in-law, he still encounters you. And in Exodus chapter 4, Moses is taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that he finds this bush that's burning. And he has this incredible encounter with God. And God comes to him and God starts showing him all these cool things. In fact, I, I believe we've got a few things in verse 8. It says, and the Lord said, Exodus chapter 4 verse 8, it says, The Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second sign. So God is having this encounter with Moses and giving him all these signs. Like, do this. If they don't believe that, do this. If, they don't, if they're still not convinced, do this. And while we're at it, why don't you do this? It's like all these tricks are happening. And then it says in verse 9, if they do not believe those two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the river will, be, will become blood on the ground. So all sorts of crazy moments are happening. But check out what happens with Moses. Verse 10, it says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. As I've been sharing this message, some of you have been feeling that. I want you to look at the words. He says, I've not been good with my speech since you have, before we've spoken, nor after we've spoken. There are some people that just struggle in being positive. Before they were saved, after they've been saved. Are you with me? There are some people that struggle with foul language. Before they knew Jesus, it's become a bit more intense after they've known Jesus. <laughs> and Moses is having this moment, and how amazing it is that you can actually go to God and say that. Uh, God, like, 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 I know you want to use me, but just this anger, I know you want to do these things, but this, this situation, I know you've got plans, and, but, but this one thing I can't take care of, and I love God's answer. He says, the Lord said, who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Friend, I want you to know that maybe if you're struggling in this area, if you surrender your tongue to God, He will teach you, He will show you, he will give you the words that need, you, need, you need to know. Now, let's look at James' conversation once more. Let's look at verse 6, and I want to redeem the Scripture. Check out what it says. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. Moses was having an encounter with a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. Then check out what it says. It can set your whole life on fire. I want to redeem the Scripture right now. 
James is saying your tongue can set your whole life on fire. Well, if your tongue is set in the right direction, your tongue can set your whole life on fire in the right direction. Your tongue can set your passion in its place. Your tongue can put faith in your mouth in a powerful way. It can set your whole life on fire. Some of you are not convinced. That's why in Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, I can imagine the Holy Spirit and God having a conversation. The Holy Spirit saying, I'm about to go down. God says, no, it's just day 21. Wait a few more days. Day 30, I'm about to go down. No, 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 wait another few more days. No, day 35, God, Holy Spirit's like, I'm about to go down. I can't wait. My church has been praying. Day 40, day 41, day 50. It's around between 40, 47, 50th day. Holy Spirit's ready to go down. And all of a sudden, I can imagine God saying, but Holy Spirit, you've got to pick a body part. He says, if there's one body part I can pick that I can anoint in a human being, it would be their tongue. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, He chose your tongue. And they say that when He baptized them, He baptized them with tongues of fire. They begin to speak in an unknown language. They begin to speak in an unknown tongue because God knew that if He could occupy your lips, if He could take over you and give you a new prayer language, He can set you in the right course. He can set you in the right path. And isn't it funny that even to this day, that is one of the most controversial things. Because hell still wants to possess our tongues. And I want to encourage us, church, that let's, let's surrender this object. Let's surrender the fruit of our lips. Let's say, Holy Spirit, if I can get the worship team up. Let, let's say, Holy Spirit, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you to take over my lips. I need you to take over my mouth. I need you to take over this instrument. In Jesus' name, I'm surrendering my voice. I'm surrendering my words. I'm surrendering who I am. And all of a sudden, it changes. I want you to notice in each of these stories, when it came to the horse, when it came to the ship, when it came to the, the example of the fire, James was trying to hit a few different things. When it came to the horse, he was trying to talk about the muscle of a horse. He was trying to talk about your posture. He was trying to talk about your inner resolve. When it comes to the things of God, what is your inner resolve? When it came to the ship, James is talking about the path, the path, the path. What is the path that you're moving on? When storms hit you, when trials hit you, when tribulation hits you, when temptations come your way, what is gonna be the path that you're gonna move forward? And fire has to do with passion. Your posture, let me tell you, your tongue relates with your posture. Your tongue speaks of the path that you're on and your tongue speaks of your passion. And when you surrender your tongue to the Holy Spirit, He can do something in your life. It's powerful what happens when we say, God, I surrender my tongue to You. God, I surrender. And you know what? This week I got convicted because I was like, God, I surrender my tongue to You. And then God said, do you surrender your text to me? Have you ever noticed how you text people things that you'd never say from your tongue? And like the world's made it crazy because like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just started monitoring my texts and I was just like, I would never say that. I would never say that. I would never say that. You know what I'm saying? Don't look at me like, like 
why are you being hypocritical about this? Don't look at me like you're not guilty of the same thing. Or you're just being convicted, taking notes. I get it, I get it. Yeah, but you know, I was just like, God, you take account of this. Like on one side, I'm Mr. Positive, but then I'm texting stuff and ah, yeah, emojis in there. You know, like why are you being manipulative, Elvin? You would not say that. You would not say that. Church, let's take an account of our speech. Let's take an account of our words. If you really believe that there is true life on the edge of our lips, let's take an account of what we're saying, of what we're doing. I believe God wants to do something in this place. Why don't we stand up?